Good morning. <laughs> there it is. I was wondering morning. if you'd all fallen asleep real fast. Are we all going well? Yes. Yes? Great. Cool. This works really well when you talk back. <laughs> I know it's winter. Winter is finally here. Yay! Says no one. <laughs> Except for some, some crazy people. Kathy's not here, so I can, yeah, that's good. Quickly reminded um, as winter approaches that uh, I have a, a van whose battery decides to not like the cold. And so you get up in the morning heading off to work and it goes... That is the morning I should have stayed in bed. That's every morning, so I better not. There is life there, but there is not enough to jumpstart it. And so I've got to get out my little parallel unit and give it a jumpstart to kick it over. And sometimes we can go through a season like that in our lives where it's, there's life there, but it's just... You know, we, we, we struggle and we go through just a season of just not wanting to just... To, to get up and get moving. God's got a jump start for you this morning. So I hope and I pray that your hearts are open to receive what God has for you this morning. Because he's got a destination for you. And you can't get there in your driveway going... Oh, 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 oh. And so I believe God's got a bit of a jump start for us this morning. I was asking God for the last sort of two weeks what, uh, what he wanted me to bring this morning. And he kept saying to me, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Everywhere I looked and read, it was Romans 12 too. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Came to church on Sunday and Ashley had a word from God that the, the memory verse to go in the week's or the month's newsletter was Romans 12 too. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Phil's message that he brought last week spoke to a renewal process, and I can't escape it. And it's been amazing because the, one of the challenges is, is that transformation is permanent. We live in a, in a world where... Um, we see movies like Transformers and we, they transform into something, but then when it's not needed, they transform back. Many Christians say the, say the right words, they get their Christian badge and come to church transformed, walk out and transform back. We go back to our work colleagues and we're different to who we are with our family. We're continually transforming all over the show. And the challenge that God's been giving me is are you transformed or do you keep transforming? So those who like to take notes, the title for this morning's message is Transformation, Not Formation. See, transformation first happens in the mind and this is where the greatest battle for you and I lies. If you can open up 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 6, we're going to have a look at that. I hope you bring your Bibles. I hope you bring your pad and your pen and write notes. 
It is not my responsibility to be your, or the person who fills your tank to help you last through the week. I believe my responsibility, and as I, as I bring a word, is that it sparks something in you that you go back and you study and you research and you take a, a glimpse or you take the revelation that God's given you and you do the work. Some of you may have to go home and blow off the dust. <sighs> I've been in seasons like that myself. I spoke to someone the other day and they said, look, I've had seasons where I haven't picked the Bible up for a month, two months, weeks. God is, is inviting you into a relationship with you and that takes work and that takes study, that takes you jumping into his word Please don't rely on us to be your source. Don't rely on me um, to fill your fuel tank. God does that. It's his job. So 2 Corinthians verses 10, oh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 to 6. I'm going to read it out of the message version because I love the way that it's just really simplistic, which works for my head. And this is regarding that transform transformation happens um, in your mind, and this is where your greatest battle lies. You see, the world is unprincipled. It's a dog-eat-dog out there. The world doesn't fight fear, but we don't live our or fight our battles that way. Never have and never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing the entire massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fighting every loose thought and emotion, impulse and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. God has created in you the greatest piece of hard drive that's ever available, your mind. And there is a constant battle between good and evil. There is a constant pull for whatever gets programmed into your head. Satan wants the space. God wants the space. And so there's a constant battle because we, have, we are corrupt, we are f- fleshly beings, and there is a co- constant battle in the hard drive. And so we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We need to start looking at the way we think and and act and respond. Did you know that your brain has a million of sensory receptives that are constantly filling your data, your capacity? Everything you touch, feel, smell, hear, taste. Your hard drive is converting that in and it is planting into your mind. You've got millions of these receptives. And depending on what you've experienced or what you have heard or what you have seen, their forms, what we would call the lenses in which you view life from. The problem that comes with that is that not everything that you believe to be true is true. Our history, our imaginations actually lie to us. Our imaginations have like 10 billion of these sensory 
receptors that are going on. How many of you closed your eyes in that song and pictured what was happening? Pictured what God was saying to you? I could get you to close your eyes now and take you to a place of imagination. So powerful. And then after you've got there and you can feel everything, you can smell everything, you can sense everything, I can say, wake up and you're back. Sorry, still in Talmudu. Your imagination is powerful and yet we allow sometimes our imagination to form our truth. And our truth becomes something that we live out of. As an example for that, have you ever had a preconceived conversation before you have the real conversation? Gone to talk somebody and you've had all the scenarios mapped out in your head, head of how that conversation is going to pan out. Your imagination takes you to a place and all of a sudden someone responds in such a way and you've already got the answers because you've already imagined how it's going to go or sometimes something completely floors you and you're lost because you've already had these preconceived thoughts and conversations. It happens all the time. Everything that, who you are and how you think is a result of everything that your brain has interpreted and loaded onto your database. So there is a constant fight to get with God and the enemy is to say, what's programmed in there? What do you allow in? So transformation is a renewing of the mind. We need to start changing the way we think. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. As he thinks in his heart. See, out of overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you think about yourself determines how you feel about yourself. How you feel about yourself is what you speak out of yourself about yourself. Yeah. Ephesians 4.22 oh, is where I'm going to focus most of my message this morning out of there. So if you've got that, Ephesians 4 verse 22. It says that you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You're to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Your attitude has got everything to do with your altitude. How high you want to go has got everything to do with your attitude. How far you want to have a relationship to do with Christ has got everything to do with your attitude. And we need to be continually transforming and renewing our mind so that we can become like Christ. And that takes you higher. If you have an attitude that I'm going to stay in my comfort zone, don't expect (laughs) to go to great heights in God. Your attitude has everything to do with your attitude. We have to remove the old way of thinking to make way for the truth that God wants to bring. Phil's message last week was one of those pivotal messages, I believe, for the church. As he brought us a revelation of the old wine, the new wine, the old wineskin and the new wineskin. God has got new wine for us. And I think it's incredibly important that you take his message from last week and study it. Because I think it's foundational for another season that God has got us in. Phil talked about how the new wineskin and the process that it had to go through in order to hold the new wine. He talked about that the new wineskin is not necessarily new in the way that we understand new, but there was a a renewing that goes on in that process that that is 
that the old is being transformed by that new renewing process in order to hold the new. It's that massaging of the oil, the Holy Spirit. You've got to listen to that message because it's vitally important for where we're going in the next season. So we've got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that the new is not competing with the old. We've got, we have taken off the old and now we have to have new attitudes of mind. We have to have new thoughts. We have to have new processes. Romans 12.2, do not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So a question I have been asking myself and I've asked others as I've gone about this week is what are some of those patterns that the world has to offer that we conform to? This is a question I think that you should be asking your family. What are some of the patterns that we have stepped into? What are some of the patterns that we have generally just picked up without even realizing it that we are now running in that are conforming to the pattern of the world? Well, I sat down with the team on, um, on Tuesday and asked them what are some of, those, some of those patterns and we filled the whiteboard pretty quickly with some of the patterns. There's, there's heaps of them. So here's a few of them. The patterns of the world that we have no respect for people in positions of authority people in positions of leadership inside and outside the church. It's a worldly pattern. And we jump on that really easily. You only have to look at Facebook to, to see how we condemn and speak out about someone in a position of leadership. We look at fault finding. We have this, there's a pattern of an us first mindset that you've got to look after number one. Numero uno. It's not what the Bible says at all. You look at a marriage, marriages are falling apart because everybody's trying to look after number one, and yet marriage says, wives submit to your husbands as they're the leader of the, the head of the home, but also husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and prepared to lay their life down. That is not a me first scripture. And yet a pattern of the world says we've got to look after number one, and so in a relationship particularly, People are competing to be number one and it falls apart. It's a pattern that's, that we jump into. What about the tall poppy syndrome? We've all heard that. As soon as someone gets up there and establishes themselves and God takes them to a place, or they, people are very quick to ridicule and mock them and knock them down. Perception of success is a pattern of the world. The world tells you what success looks like. How many of us chase after success by what the world says success looks like? What about identity? Women's Weekly and fashion magazines tell you what you should look like, how you should act, the clothes that you should wear. You remember Jennifer Aniston when she got a haircut on Friends? Know that famous haircut? World's most popular haircut. Go on, you dug for not yeah, knowing that. That's good work. You're amazing. Yeah, all the others aren't safe, mate. It's all right. <laughs> but in the media, she, she wore this new haircut. And all of a sudden, women across the world were, were lining up to have that cut because it was fashion. It's what you should look like. It's where beauty is. Please. What about vindication and revenge? A worldly pattern is that I'll get my revenge. I will have my say. Here's a controversial one. What about education? 
The world has a model of one size fits all. And we jump onto that hamster wheel and, and we pressure our kids to conform into a set standard. What if your kids don't learn in that environment? What if your children learn everything yet they get to an exam and they crumble because their pressure of exams is what is their undoing? And they implode. They know everything exactly the same, but at the end of it, a piece of paper tells them differently. And it affects their future. It's just a question. So I want to, I believe God has wanted to have a look at one pattern this morning. And this is your jump start moment. <laughs> and it's the pattern of being PC. The pattern of being politically correct as to not offend anybody. We live in a culture these days of relative truth, don't we? Whatever is true for you, or whatever you believe to be true is true for you. And we can't or shouldn't say anything about it. We need to be politically correct. If we were to speak against it, we get classed as being sexist, we get classed as being racist, we, we get told that we're discriminating. And so we live in this world where we have to be PC. And it's particularly bad in the church. I'm not just saying this church, but I'm the church in general. Because we're called to speak truth. Aren't we? But we're also called to love everyone. Mm. The problem is that truth is very confrontational. Because his truth confronts all the things that we look through in our life that we have processed and put on our database. And if his truth speaks against your little t truth, it's offensive. It's confronting. And yet we are called to speak in truth, but yet we're called to speak love. We're called to show love. And so there's this tension between truth and there's this tension between love because to confront someone in today's society and to speak truth, even though you're doing it in the most loving possible way, culture will tell you that you can't do that because you're not showing acceptance of that individual. And that the confrontation that truth brings has now been replaced with this, this love that we have to love everyone despite what they're doing and who they are and the journey that they're on. And yet there's the tension there. Because God calls us to speak truth. We hear it all the time that because we don't necessarily always speak truth, that we are loving people right through to the gates of hell. Because we do not want to say what needs to be said because we're conditioned that we can't because we don't want to hurt people's feelings. We don't want to push people away because we're supposed to be all loving. We live in a culture of relative truth. I want to read you an excerpt that Martin Luther King out of one of his sermons. He wrote this, and it was called uh, Paul's Letter to the American Christians. He said this in, in Alabama on the 4th of November in 1956. 
So you can, you can pretend that you're the, the American Christian. But I understand that there are many Christians in America who give their ultimate allegiance to man-made systems and customs. They are afraid to be different. The great concern is to be accepted socially. They live by some such principle as this. Everybody is doing it, so it must be right. For so many of you, morality is merely group consensus. In your modern sociological lingo, the mores are accepted as the right ways. You have unconsciously come to believe that right is discovered by taking some sort of Gallup poll of the majority opinion. How many are giving their ultimate allegiance to this way? But American Christians, I must say to you, as I said to the Roman Christians years ago, be not conformed to this world, but ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or I said to the Philippian Christians, ye are a colony of heaven. This means although you live in the colony of time, your ultimate allegiance is to the empire of eternity. You have a dual citizenship. I'll change that word. You live both in time and eternity, both in heaven and earth. Therefore, your ultimate allegiance is not to the government, not to the state, not to the nation, not to any man-made institution. The Christian owes his ultimate allegiance to God. And if any earthly institution conflicts with God's will, it is your Christian duty to take a stand against it. That's a powerful challenge. That is a powerful challenge. That is our Christian duty to make a stand against what the world is establishing that it contradicts what God wants to establish. And because we have this PC culture, the church has gone quiet. The church is speaking all love. God is love. Yes, he is love, but that is one aspect of who he is. Read it. God is a very wrathful, jealous God. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 10, 28. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and not the soul, but rather be afraid of the one who can kill both body and soul in hell. Jesus is saying, don't fear man, fear me. Don't conform to the patterns of this world and and be all lovey-dovey that we are afraid to speak truth because truth is, is offensive. God is calling us into a position to make a stand for his will. Jesus is saying, fear me, don't fear man. And I talked to someone about this the other day and they said, yes, but the Bible says that you need to speak truth in love. And it does say that, Ephesians 4, 15. I could not find anywhere else in Scripture where it says that else. It says it once, from that all that I can find, speak truth and love. In Ephesians 4, 15, it actually says, instead, speak truth and love. With all, oh, we will in all things grow up to him who is the head that is Christ. Instead. So instead of what? Well, if you have a look at Ephesians 4, the whole chapter, this is your homework part of it. You know, we often read the verse 4.11 where it says, He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. We've heard that scripture before all the time. To prepare God's work for service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach a 
unity and faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Verse 14 says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming, instead speaking truth and love. We will in all things grow up to, into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by support and ligaments, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Verse 17 says, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having all lost sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, it says, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you have heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And then we get to Ephesians 4, verse 25. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour, for we are all members of one body. Then it makes an interesting statement, and in your anger, do not sin. Instead, speaking truth of love. It's talking that love, that truth brings maturity. That you won't get caught up because you're a maturing Christian, you won't get caught up in the evil schemes and the desires of the plans of men who are not speaking love, who are not speaking truth, who are being deceitful. Did you know that truth is love? Have you thought about that? Truth is love. This is capital truth, by the way. This is his truth, not my truth. Not what I've come to understand as being true. Because like I said before, what I believe to be true might not be true. And so God needs to take us through that renewing process of our mind. Everything that Jesus said, he spoke truth. Correct? Yeah. Everything that Jesus said, he spoke in love. Truth is love. If you were to speak anything other than truth, do you really love? Truth is love. If you were to beat around the bush and not address something and not speak to something in somebody that God is calling you to, do you really love the person? No. Because God calls us to speak truth. The problem is that truth is offensive. Truth is confrontational. Everything that Jesus said, he spoke in love. He spoke truth always. He loved always. And yet he was confrontational for those who heard it. He challenged their thinking. He was constantly challenging their thinking. He was wanting them to renew their mind. He was after data space. He was looking for transformation. Because they had formed patterns 
And Jesus spoke truth and love. He was confrontational. You only have to read his words. How many have got his words written and read in your Bible? Some Bibles have got that. Spend some time just reading his words. Jesus always spoke truth and he always spoke love. But it always wasn't received very well. It was confrontational. You only have to look at Matthew 6.23 where Jesus says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a stumbling block. Imagine what if someone said that to you. We, I would say most of us would pack our bags and walk out and say, well, stuff you, mate. If that's how you're going to treat me, if that's how you're going to speak to me, I'm out of here. Wouldn't we? Who would stick around if someone said to you, get behind me, Satan, you're a stumbling block? All Peter was doing, what Peter did is he took Jesus aside to rebuke him, to say, no, that's not the way. And Jesus said, I don't think so. You're a stumbling block to me. Get behind me. Jesus was speaking to the spirit behind the person. And yet it's the flesh that often reacts. It's what I found interesting about that little statement. In your anger, do not sin. When you're confronted with truth, what is one of the first emotional responses that comes up? Probably anger and frustration. Whenever I'm stepping out of, um, well, doing something wrong in the home, and Shani comes and says, look, you're overstepping there. My first reaction is, I don't think you are. Because the truth of it is confronting, isn't it? And God says in your anger, don't sin. It doesn't say not be angry, but don't vomit everything out and then cause yourself a whole lot of trouble. And so Peter and Jesus, Peter gets a pretty harsh word from Jesus. Wouldn't you think that's a harsh word? Yeah. yeah. How did Peter respond? doesn't really actually say, but we see, see six days later that him, James, and James, John, and Peter went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. See, Jesus is able to speak to, to Peter in a way because he had a covenant relationship with him. That's critical. That is critical. Peter knew that Jesus was faithful to him. Peter knew that Jesus was a friend for him. So when Jesus spoke truth to him, it was love. It wasn't condemnation. It wasn't pointing the finger because there was a covenant relationship there that existed. Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Key words in that piece of scripture, faithful and friend. It doesn't say faithful are the wounds of a stranger. You see, you speak to someone, especially if it's a sin issue, and you've got to speak truth, remembering that it's confrontational. If there is no covenant connection there, if there is no faithfulness, if there's no friendship, they will see it as judgment. If you're a stranger to someone and you walk around starting pointing out truth, the Bible says that you are pointing out specks in someone else's eye, but you're walking around with a plank in your own. That's not what we are called to do when we're called to speak truth. We need to have a covenant relationship with one another. To know that if something needs to be addressed or truth comes and it's confrontational, that there is faithfulness behind it. 
There is love behind it. There is friendship behind it. The pattern of the world that they, the world sees as the church is that we are judgmental. Because we point out other people's sin issues. Who's had something in their eye before? A speck of dust. I used to get it all the time. Painful, right? Irritating. I get, I've been to hospital because of it. A dust and a speck in my eye. I don't need someone to tell me I've got a speck in my eye. I can't see properly. I've got snot coming out of every orifice. That's, you know, it's not a pretty sight. I'm rubbing it. I need someone to help direct me and guide me. I don't need someone to come up to me and go, you've got a speck in your eye. Duh, I know that. People who are in sin know that they're in sin. The Holy Spirit's the one who brings the conviction and the conscience of their behavior. They don't need you pointing it out. They need people that would pull alongside them in relationship and covenant connection faithfully and say, hey, look, been there, let me take you to the living water that can wash it out. That's truth. That is love. Truth is confronting. It confronts the lenses in which you look through. It confronts the lies in which you believe are truth. We have a saying here that what lie are you believing? It's part of our DNA. It's part of our language part of our culture. And we, as a church here in North End, we chase after truth. It's one of our values that we speak truth. The problem with truth is not in the speaking of truth. The problem is in how you receive it. How will you respond when truth confronts you, confronts your reality? Are you going to pack your bags and run away? Or are you going to recognize that truth is spoken because we have covenant relationship with you and we want to see you mature, we want to see growth, we want to see you be all that God calls you to be? Or are you going to get your feelings hurt? Are you going to get angry? Are you going to run? Are you going to hide? Or are you going to recognize that truth is confrontational? Not easy to bring, not easy to speak, not easy to receive, but the truth is what will set you free. We live in a society where we have become too PC because we don't want to hurt people's feelings. Christians have lost their salt flavor. A lot of Christians lost their saltiness. In Luke 14, here's a test. God says that salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, what is it good for? It's not even good for pulling on a pile of manure. It would wreck the manure. That's confrontational, but there are a lot of people who sit in churches who wear Jesus as a patch. Who go into a work environment or go into an, and they flip out their wallet and say, yeah, I'm a Christian, and put it back into their pocket. They walk around saying, yeah, I'm a Christian here, I'm a Christian here, and they hide the rest of it because they're continually transforming depending on where they're going. God said that's enough. God is 
wanting disciples that will follow him, who will carry the cross, who will not run and hide when, when challenge comes, but they will take it and grow and develop and mature. Matthew 7, verse 21, verse 23, talks about, this is Jesus says, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not show our Jesus badge? Do we not sign up to do certain things? Look, I'll go on and do that task? Did we not drive out demons and perform many miracles? Jesus says, then I will tell them plainly that I never knew you away from me. That is truth. God is not after someone who wears Jesus as a badge. He wants transformed lives. Truth is confronting. There are many people who will stand before God trying to show them their Jesus badge. And yet they've forgot the most important thing, relationship. They've missed it. They've brought into the lie that you say a few words and, and you die to self and Jesus gives you health and wealth. So we chase after the things instead of chasing after the person. That's a scary piece of scripture. God is telling this morning, stop playing games. I am not a patch you can wear. And you see, we receive a truth and we think it's a growling and God's saying, I'm not growling you, I'm wanting to jumpstart you. I want you to bring a revelation because I'm not a joke. I'm not something you play around with. When you stand before me after you have moved from this life and into the next, you will hear one of two things. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter or flee from me. I do not know you. That is truth. That is reality. And I believe God is wanting to jumpstart some of you to say, I've got so much more for you. I want to say this word because I want you to get a, catch a revelation of the value of what Jesus has done for you and who he is. Because God's got so much more for you. And so I believe that God is wanting to invite you as he always does. If you've been playing games, God is saying this morning you need to stop it. And I'm inviting you into a relationship, not into works of service, but into a passion, that relationship with me. And if that's you this morning, I invite you to come and to find me or Phil. And we will pray for you. We will stand with you. If that's confronting for you, then maybe God is speaking to you if that's challenging for you. If you are passionate about God, that should be empowering for you. You're all quiet. <laughs> but the truth is confrontational. The truth is love. 
I don't say it, and I'm not believe God is saying these things to drive you away. He's saying it to draw you in. He loves you. He is passionate about you. We've said this morning, he created you long before. He held you in his arms. He's got so much purpose for you. But we've got to stop getting sucked in to not walking in his truth. So a tough message this morning, and I struggled with it a little bit with God, but we are a church who chases after God's truth. And I will not apologize for that. But God is not a joke. God has got new wine for us. There is a renewing that needs to happen in people's lives in order to hold what he's got for you. Or else you will burst under their pressure and you will run and you will hide and you will not do what God's called you to do. God wants you to renew your mind and your thinking. Have transformed lives. God loves you. So if you need prayer this morning, if something has confronted you this morning, I'm available. I, God has smacked me between the ears with this myself. I'm only speaking what I have. God has been yelling at me. Well, not yelling, lovingly telling me truth. God has said to me, are you serious about what I'm doing? Have you really counted the cost? And all I can say is, yeah, God, you are so much greater than what I could ever possibly dream or imagine. And so I'm chasing you. May God bless you. May the revelation of his truth not frighten you, but draw you closer. Jesus, I know at times you spoke to thousands of people and at the end of what you said, what there was confrontation with you, only but a handful left. God, I pray that we are, are a body that is full of salt, full of light, that we are constantly being renewed by the transforming of our minds, or transformed by the renewing of our minds. That when truth comes and it confronts us, that we have the maturity to say, okay, God, what lie am I believing to now? Because I know you want to take us deeper. I know you want to draw us closer. I know you're a loving Father who wants nothing but the best for us. God, I pray that we go home and that we meditate on your word and we look for some of the patterns that we so easily get entangled in that we may need to make some changes in it and and the way we think, the way we act, we may need to remove some of these false lenses that are happening in our lives, that are distorting us from your truth. God, help us to walk in your truth, the truth that sets us free. God, we honour you this morning and we give you all the praise. For you are worthy of all praise. In your mighty name. Amen.